Eminem. Yes, it counts as classic rock because it was recorded in 1991. Can you believe that song is 25 years old? Isn't that wild? Losing My Religion. My name is Joe Davis. I'm the lead teaching pastor here in the garden. We're finishing up our series on Galatians this morning. It's been a great summer looking at this thing about how grace and religion is like oil and water. They just don't mix. <clears throat> and uh, couple cool, a couple things I just wanted to let you know. Uh, there is an empty space in our hearts this morning. Uh, a longtime garden worshiper, Bill Quigley, uh, went home to be with Jesus on Friday morning. And um, I, got, I just got to tell you, I, was, I, was, I talked with him on Thursday evening. We were just kind of talking, reading scripture, praying together. He's so funny. He says, Pastor, I think I got this grace thing down. I said, really? What do you mean? He goes, grace works whether you killed a thousand people or just peed in public. <laughs> I just thought... I just thought that was great. We just laughed so hard when he said that, right? So the funeral is Tuesday, 11 o'clock in the sanctuary building. So if you guys would like to come, uh, Bruce and I will be uh, leading that. So, um, okay. With that in mind, let's go to our topic today about Galatians chapter 6, 11 through 18. I'm just going to read this passage to you. See with what large letters I am writing to you with my own hand. It is those who want to make a good showing in the flesh who would force you to be circumcised, and only in order that they may not be persecuted for the cross of Christ. For even those who are circumcised do not themselves keep the law, but they desire to have you circumcised that they may boast in your flesh. But far be it from me to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world, for neither circumcision counts for anything, nor uncircumcision counts for anything, but a new creation. That's the only thing that counts. And as for all who walk by this rule, peace and mercy be upon them, and upon the Israel of God. That means house of God. From now on, let no one cause me trouble, for I bear my own body the marks of Jesus. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit, brothers. Amen. And with that, he closes his letter to the Galatians. So like we do, we take these passages, and what we do is we want to, to really get an understanding of what it means. We break it down into three areas, right? Historical application. What about man? What did he do? Why did he do it? Then we look at the theological application. What about God? What did he do, and why did he do it? And then the devotional application for us today. What about me? What am I supposed to do, and why should I do it? So keeping that in mind, we're looking at the historical aspect. You understand that Paul makes it clear that he is writing this with his own hand in large letters. He wants to make sure they know this is not from a scribe. This is not from anyone else. You see my handwriting. This is from me, Paul, the apostle. So that's to make sure that we understand. Because he does this because he wants to really emphasize the warnings about falling into the trap of trusting religion. Specifically here, the Mosaic Law, but in general, the concept is religion. So the Judaizers had two motives for their bad theology. Remember what the Judaizers were doing. They were going to the Galatians and saying, yes, we know you're Christians, but now we have to circumcise you or else salvation doesn't really matter. The cross doesn't work. It does, you need more than just the cross. You need religious activity. So they had two motivations. First of all, Paul says they had a fear of persecution. Scripture says, or he says that they were afraid to stand up for the ethnic scandal 
that the cross was, which was this. The cross says whether you're Jewish or whether you're a Gentile, either one, it doesn't matter. God can save you. And for people who weren't Christians that were Jews, that was a scandal. What do you mean you don't have to be Jewish to be right with God? Yes, you do. What the cross did is it broke down racial and ethnic barriers, and we still see it doing that today when the true gospel is preached. So they were afraid to stand up for that scandal. They were also afraid because they wanted to force Gentile Christians to take on circumcision so that they could prove to the Jewish people who might persecute them that they were true and loyal to the temple. The temple was as important as the government in this time. You understand that the temple affected every area of your life if you were a Jewish person. And so what would happen is if you were a Jewish person and it looked like you were forsaking the temple for this Jesus guy, you would be subject to intense, severe persecution, sometimes even death. And so one of the things they would do by making Galatians, the Gentiles, non-Jewish people, be circumcised is proving, look, we're loyal to the temple. We still teach the things that you guys teach. We're loyal to Judaism. But that wasn't the only reason why they had this bad theology. Another reason was they had a desire to have a religious reputation. You see, they wanted to brag about their spiritual influence over these Gentile Christians. They wanted to brag, go back to the Jewish people who would persecute them and say, see how good I am? I can convince even Gentiles to be circumcised. See, I'm very influential. I'm a good teacher. I'm really good at this. They wanted to brag about it. You know what else? They thought that by circumcising scores of Gentiles, the Judaizers could boast that they had actually had an impact and a hand in converting these men. Yes, Jesus did his work, but we came along and we did our thing too. We presented the truth in a very effective way, and we got them to make a decision. We're very, very persuasive, and we helped save these people. They also would seek human praise and approval. Those are the rewards that they sought. Not only were they trying to escape persecution, but they wanted accolades. That's a goal that right away should have shown the, Gentile, the Galatian Gentiles just how wrong-headed and false these teachers were. And I see that a lot today in churches, you know. There are ch- I remember when I was a, a youth pastor... We used to go to these summer camps. Sometimes the speakers were really good, and the music was great, the games were good, all that was fun. And I remember going to this one camp one year, and every day, right before the the morning session would start, a person would get up and say, yesterday we had, you know, 23 decisions for Jesus and 34 rededications for a total of 50-something decisions today, and that brings us to 237 decisions for the week. And they would talk about how many decisions they're creating. It's the same thing here. So human praise and approval was part of the reason that they were teaching this bad theology. You know, and and Paul says something else at the end of this. He says, let me tell you something. Far be it from me to boast in anything except for the cross. There is a reason why this line is not a throwaway line, guys. It is exactly in contrast to what the Judaizers would hope to boast in and what Paul says we should boast in. The Judaizers would boast in the fact that 
Yes, I was wise enough to trust Jesus, but I was also wise enough to trust the temple, and I was also very persuasive and talented enough of a teacher to convince other people to trust the temple as well as Jesus. God must really be using me. Look at the results. Numbers don't lie. Well, you know what? In grace math, numbers do lie. I'll explain that in a minute. <clears throat> you see, you have to understand something. When Paul says, I will not be boasting in anything except for the cross, let me tell you why that's important. Crucifixion was the most shameful way to die in the Roman Empire. As a matter of fact, family members would often deny even knowing somebody in their family who had been crucified because of the shame it would bring to the family name. That's like saying, yeah, Ted Bundy was my brother. That's exactly what the, it was a stigma of, oh, your son was crucified. You must have had a really bad home. You didn't raise your child right. It would bring shame to the family name. Let alone now, not only just bragging about crucifixion, but proudly serving <clears throat> the one who had died on the cross. Not only am I bragging about the crucifixion, I'm living my life in the name of the person who was crucified. That's what I'm bragging in. I mean, the gospel of a crucified Messiah at this time in this culture was the least seeker-friendly, least advertisable message you could possibly imagine. It would be like somebody running for president saying, I'm running for president and my platform is to make us just like old USSR Russia. It's probably not going to fly in America. That's what identifying with the cross was. Can you see the difference culturally back then between identifying with religious success and the cross? Not just for Jews, but with anyone? I would submit to you that any first century person who believed without seeing in the cross and the resurrection is evidence of divine grace. In other words, no marketing was responsible. It was the Holy Spirit. So that's the historical aspect, okay? Now we got an understanding of what Paul means when he says they want to boast, but I would not boast in anything but the cross. You've got that in your head. Let's look at the theological. Read this passage. I'm putting it up there again. But far be it for me to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. For neither circumcision counts for anything, nor uncircumcision, in other words, neither religion nor pride in not being religious, I'll get to that in a minute, but a new creation. And as for all who walk by this rule, peace and mercy be upon them and upon the house of God. See, what we have to understand is the gospel gives no room for a human credit. The gospel gives no room for a human credit to take responsibility or credit for his own life. The only boasting we can have is in the cross. In other words, the work of God, not man. 
You don't earn salvation by being a good Presbyterian or a good Baptist or a good Buddhist or a good atheist or a good Mormon or a good Muslim. Salvation is not earned. It is given. So the only boasting you can do is in the cross. No decision to be circumcised or decision to... Re well, I'm saved because I rejected circumcision. Well, no, I'm saved because I decided to be circumcised. No decision to be circumcised or to reject the circumcision or any other decision saves you. In fact, salvation may produce good decisions, but good decisions don't produce salvation. Does that make sense? When God saves you, it transforms your heart and life. And James, the book of James says, faith without works is a false faith. It's a dead faith that can't save you. But you have to understand something. Your decisions and your works don't produce salvation. Salvation given to you by the power of the Holy Spirit produces good works. See, if you think you had a role in it, that's your religion talking. And you must lose it. Paul makes it very clear that everything about salvation has nothing to do with man or his will or his actions. It's all about the Father. It's all about his Son. It's all about the cross. It's all about the Holy Spirit creating you new. He says, the only thing that counts is new creation. By the way, when he says new creation or created new, that is a 100% passive verb, meaning this. The subject is being acted upon and moved upon. The subject is not moving itself. The subject is not creating itself new. The subject in that Greek construction in that passage says this. It's not about your decision to be circumcised. It's not about your decision to be uncircumcised. None of that matters. The only thing that matters is that you are acted upon and made new. It's passive, meaning you have no action in it, and it makes you new. So what do we do with this devotionally? Let me tell you about the religion that I lost. The personal effort that used to try to use to bring me comfort. A long time ago, when somebody would ask me if I knew I was a Christian, I would say, well, yeah, because in April of my ninth grade year, I made a decision to ask Jesus into my heart. That's the evangelical catchphrase. I asked Jesus into my heart, which I can't find in Scripture, by the way. Paul didn't say it. Matthew didn't say it. Mark, Luke. I said, it was during an invitation, and I went down and I prayed the sinner's prayer. In fact, I've done it dozens of times. See, guys, what happened was I had a bad theology in my I placed this mystical, magical power in a moment, in an event. In fact, this is not a lie, I became known in my church, Temple Heights Baptist Church in Tampa, Florida, I became known as an aisle walker. I used to go down the aisle three times a month to church, at church, after a sermon, and pray the sinner's prayer just to make sure I did it the way I was supposed to do it. 
If I say the right words and I really, really, really mean them this time, then I'll be connected to the Father. Can you see how that sort of became my religion? <clears throat> it was my decision to ask Jesus into my heart, and I wanted to make sure that I asked him correctly. I wanted to make sure that I made the decision for the right reasons, at the right time, with the right words, with the right amount of meaning, in the right order, that I really, really meant it, because I wanted to make sure that I did everything that I needed to do to be connected to the Father. And it became my religion. As a matter of fact, even as I was in Bible college and I'd already started ministry, this was a tool that I would use. How do I know if I'm saved? Have you prayed the sinner's prayer? See, this is a crucial point. I understand it's a subtle point, but it's a crucial one. Trusting my decisions or even my prayer would be the same as boasting in something other than the cross. Can you see that? How do you know I'm saved? Well, I prayed the prayer. I trusted Jesus. I was sincere. Guys, I got to tell you, I would say making a decision to be circumcised is pretty darn sincere. <laughs> you know, I mean, you got to really mean it. <laughs> I would say circumcision is a little bit more sincere decision than the sinner's prayer. But then my junior year in college, I had an awakening. I was in Bible college. I had an awakening, and I realized that my connection to the Father had nothing to do with me nothing to do with me it had nothing to do with a church service or an invitation that i responded to or a prayer i didn't come to god god brought me to him and he gave me faith which is what he gave me the faith to believe and what i realized for the first time my junior year in college is i had total trust in him and i had no confidence in my religion <clears throat> which was the sinner's prayer why i don't have confidence in it for you guys i'll tell you why i don't think any of you have the ability to pray it good enough or pray it right or be sincere enough for it to really do anything to you. I only have confidence in one thing for salvation. The sovereign act of God imparting grace to me while I was still dead. Ephesians 2, you who were dead in sins has he made alive and quickened you and brought you into the family of God and sits you together with him in Jesus Christ in heavenly places. How can a dead person make a decision? Now, when a person is dead and they're made alive and they're given the gift of faith, they can maybe make a decision then, but the decision has no power. It's the regeneration that has the power. Could it manifest itself in a prayer? Of course it can. Could it manifest itself in just a moment of realization? Of course it can. But the prayer or the moment is the result, not the cause. Because if you're trusting in the moment or the prayer, you are putting faith 
in your religion, and you need to lose it. Can you see how trusting in the sinner's prayer would be boasting? Trusting in something other than the cross? That's what I mean by losing my religion. Because, guys, the Holy Spirit is the power of salvation in your life, which brings you to a place where you could put your trust and faith, which is a gift in Jesus, when he regenerates you, when he makes you a new creation. That was my religion right there. That was it. My prayer life in front of everyone. I'm courageous. I will trust Jesus in front of everyone in this church three times a month. I'm not kidding you. I was so messed up in the head. Until one day I realized, I don't trust my prayer. I trust Jesus. For neither circumcision counts for anything nor uncircumcision, but a new creation. So here's the question. Are you ready to abandon all religion and capitulate to grace? I used this word a couple of weeks ago, and some of you said, what does capitulate mean? It means to give me all your money. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Capitulate means to give in and say, okay, I give up. It has nothing to do with me. It's all you, God. Do your work. Capitulation is saying, it's not me. I give in. God is sovereign. Grace has been applied. That's how I know I'm a child of God. That's capitulation. Giving up on your religion. Giving up on your thoughts that you can play a role in your salvation. Giving up on that and saying, you know what, God? You get all the credit. Even my decision is a result of your regeneration, which, be, which means give me all your money. No, which means being made alive. That's what regeneration means. See, you need to give up all your piety and arrogance and dependence upon your will and actions and put all your trust in the work of heavenly dad and none in yourself. Are you ready to give up on you? Are you ready to give up on your will and your actions? Because that's what religion is about, isn't it? Religion is about you and your will and your actions. Are you ready to trust in the work of Jesus alone? Of course, that can only happen by faith, which is a gift. That is total capitulation. And I'll close with Bill's story. His courage, I shared you a little bit last week about his courage, allowing me to have the opportunity to help him bear his burden, right? I shared that with you. And then... When I met with him a few more times after that, we would go through, and that's when he gave me that line about, you know, the grace is good whether or not you killed people or peed in public, which was a great line. I said, you know, I'm going to use that in the sermon. <laughs> he says, don't blame me if you get fired, Pastor Joe. <laughs> he said to me on Thursday, he says, you know, I had all this anxiety that I needed to do more. Maybe I should spend what time I have left in the Old Testament. <clears throat> Maybe I should spend it in the New Testament. What should I do? And then I realized, I don't need to do anything. 
And he says, can you read me that verse you preached on before, Romans 8, 31 to 39? And I started reading. He says, no, skip that part. I started reading. He says, no, no. I got the end, and it says, for I am persuaded that neither death nor life nor angels nor powers nor anything present, anything on earth can separate me from the love of God. And he said, that's the one. That's capitulation. Isn't grace a lot better than religion? Guys, isn't it? Isn't grace a lot better than religion? Isn't grace a lot better than your will? I love it. And it's time to abandon and lose our religion and put our trust in grace.